Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, everyone. We are joined by Paulette Heller of Conair. Welcome Good to morning. Where Brains Meet Beauty. Good morning, Paulette. Good morning. Our listeners are curious about the career paths and journeys of executives in the beauty industry and not the um, glossed over, picture perfect, fake storytelling that we hear sometimes, um, but honest and authentic stories. And you certainly have an incredibly interesting story to tell. Uh, different. <laughs> different for sure. <laughs> so, you know, what's so different, um, and, you know, I've known you for a few years now, and I think it's so incredible, is that you've been at Conair your entire career, right, for 34 years. Um, uh, pretty much, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the beginning, like how you ended up at Conair, what, what the first job was like? Yeah. So I actually... Um, at the time that I graduated from college and started looking for a job, it was it was in the 80s. And, you know, for those who don't remember, uh, we were in the middle of a pretty bad recession and jobs were pretty difficult to come by. So I had kind of a difficult time finding a job. I mean, I went to school at Rutgers. I graduated, you know, with pretty high honors. Um it wasn't for lack of not being smart enough or, you know, capable enough. It's just there were not, you know, companies just weren't hiring, let alone hiring, you know, entry-level positions. So I was um, working at retail at the time. Um, I wanted to get into their executive training program, but they weren't taking people from within. And I happened to get a call from a recruiter um, kind of, you know, a friend of a friend sort of thing who asked me to come in and interview for this position at Conair. And the position actually wasn't uh, a marketing position. When I started, I came in and I actually worked in a service program. The company had a service program for Kmart at the time, which was probably our largest account. I mean, in the 80s, Kmart was really rocking it as a retailer. Um, and I serviced all of the Kmarts uh, in the state of New Jersey. And I would basically go in and at that time we were able to um, write orders manually and I would set up promotions, you know, get off shelf space, set up promotions, set up planograms, make sure, you know, they were in stock. And it was really just, you know, servicing these stores and I was driving sales you know, within my territory. So I had done that for a couple of years, and then um, I was given the opportunity to come inside and uh, worked work on the private label business, which at the time, back then, private label and appliances was a pretty big business. I mean, today, it's you don't see it that much, in especially in small appliances. Um but we had a lot of different programs for a lot of different categories. So I was exposed to the professional side of the business. Uh, when we got into telephones, I did some programs, telephones, hair appliances, all different categories, mirrors, hair setters. So I really got exposed to a lot of the different businesses that the company was in. Um, and I did that for a while and then eventually got into the branded 
side of the business. Um, and it, in the interim, I also, I also I went back to school and got my MBA. And it was after that that I actually started to work on the Conair branded side of the business. So you mentioned that when you got out of school, it was hard to find a job and you took a job at retail, I assume just, you know, just to have a job and to pay the bills. Um, but I would think that that, um, that theme is pretty relevant today, right? Um, 34 years later, um, that people just have to figure it out. They're not necessarily going to get their dream job or even a, a good job right away. Um, would you give the same advice to someone now out of school? They can't get a job. Just go get a job at retail, be busy, do something. Ah, um, well, you know, it's different. It's different now when, you know, when kids come out of school because, you know, there's, there's different avenues for them. Like there's internships or they sometimes, you know, go out and try to, you know, start a business on their own. Like there's, there's more things that they can get involved with other than just you know, working in a, in a retail format. I think there's a little, there's more opportunity, but I mean, it depends upon what your circumstances were. For me, you know, I had to support myself. So I actually work two jobs. I mean, I work retail and then I waitress as well. So Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. really just working hard to make some money. Um, but everyone has different circumstances, you know, sometimes they really need to work and they'll do whatever they have to do to make money. And then, you know, other, other people get out of school and they're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, do something that they love and maybe not make as much money doing it, um, to be able to get experience. So I think today there's, there's different opportunities available. When um, I work a lot with students, you know, when they're moving through college and they realize, you know, oh, they don't want to be a law and a lawyer or they don't want to be this or that. And they're curious about my industry. And I say to them, like, if you can't get that internship or that job that you love in beauty, then get that job at retail. Like, go find a job at Sephora. Yeah. Go find a yeah. job at Ulta. Because, like, this is valuable, right? Like, maybe, maybe it's not your ideal. Maybe working in the mall is not what you dreamed of. But uh, really valuable experience with customers, with product, with storytelling, uh, with hustling, right? Because it's hard. I'm, you know, yeah. I, I don't poo-poo it. I think it's really valuable. And and I would agree with that. I mean, especially in the beauty business, which you know is really growing right now. But it really has a dynamic, you know, unto itself, um, where you know customers are really into the storytelling. They really want to interact with the product. They want to know that brands, uh, you know, feel something about them or understand their lives. And, you know, it's, so it it is a good experience. And I, I think when you work in like an Ulta or Sephora, you really can get a sense of some of these brands um, and, and what they stand for, because the brands, I think, really, are are rigid about telling their story in those formats. So I, I do think that is valuable experience. When I was the creative director of a beauty brand, um, it was this brand that had like 150 stores in the U.S. and you know thousands around the world. And I learned so much about my team's role 
in um, how we talk, how we connect with customers when I had to go and work in the store, which we all did around holiday time. Like everybody from the corporate office always went into the stores all over the country. And um, it's there that I realized I'm like, oh, so we like create all these zany, crazy, fun animations. And then like, look at how much little time the store staff has to implement these things, right? We send all these signs and posters and things that spin and decorations for the shelf. Oh, forget and it. Who's going who's gonna to put them on the shelf? Who's going to learn how to do it? Who's going to know how to fold this certain way so it pops up right? Um, it was so enlightening for me. So I think that anybody, any young person who wants to end up in marketing or visual merchandising or even like, you know, wholesale sales or whatever um, would would be able to contribute so much to their team if they worked at the retail level first, because they know what it's like on the front line with those customers. Yeah. Yeah. And even working with, um, like, as you say, when you're trying to implement displays and things like that, I mean, buyers always tell us like you have to, you have to make it so simple and easy to execute because the staff in the stores just will not, they will not be able to execute it. And that's why I think a lot of the times some of these things end up in the, you know, the storage room in the back and they never even make it out to the shelf. Right. Because you know what, it's that teeny tiny little piece that's um, integral to the whole thing standing up straight is at the bottom of the box. No one's going to see it, (laughs) right? It's going to get thrown out and then they can't assemble it. And then it's, it's a giant waste of everybody's time and money. And money, um, yeah. So, so, and we've seen uh, that happen many times. Yeah, it's um, it was fascinating for me. So, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about thirty-four years because when I um, when I look back at my journey to now, um, I I don't know. I must have so many jobs. They might go into the teens <laughs> before I started my own business. Like job for a year, another job for a year, get laid off, work in a flower shop, take another job, get laid off. I worked in a manhole factory, <laughs> get another job. And like this kept happening, you know, um, I went from place to place, not necessarily always because I wanted to, it's just circumstances, um, businesses folding, teams changing. Um, in some cases, I was just straight out fired. So, um, you know, it's fascinating to me to um, connect with someone who has been at the same company for so long. So I'm curious about... Um, what Con Air gave you through those years to to keep you? So, you know, I think as I mentioned, when, you know, when I was first looking for a job, the market was, was really tough. So, I, you know, I had a hard time just landing the job. And then when I got into the company, so, you know, the company had just gone through, um, they had just, taken themselves, they were public and they had just um, taken themselves private again. And there was just incredible um, energy in the company. I mean, the, the company at the time was on this crazy growth trajectory. Um, it, it was like there wasn't anything that the company could do wrong. Everything they touched just sold like crazy. And, you know, business was was just great. And I remember, you know, being at a Christmas party and hearing, um, you know, the owner of the company at every Christmas party, he would he would speak to the group. And 
I remember thinking there, there's something like something really good is going on here and it's really exciting and I really want to be a part of this. And at the time, you know, that was when the company was moving up to Connecticut and I just, I mean, there's not a lot of structure here because it's a very entrepreneurial company, but for me, I kind of like that that frenetic atmosphere um, and having the ability to work on a lot of different things and being part of this, you know, bigger picture that was just that just kept getting bigger. Um, so at the time, you know, at this Christmas party, the owner was talking about the company was approaching like $350 million in sales. And here I am today and the company is $3 billion in sales. Oh my God. That's insane. It, yeah. And, and I've, I've been a part of this, you know, this journey with the company and all this growth and how I've seen it, um, you know, diversify and the strategies that they've taken to to get there. And, you know, for me, it was always really important. You know, you talk about, you know, companies restructuring and, you know, how you were laid off and had to get another job. And then you've, ha- I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from people that I've interviewed. So it's very common today. And for me, it was really important, especially because I, I had to look for a job at a time, you know, when the economy was really bad. It was really important to me that I was working for a company that was really financially sound. Mm-hmm. You know, in the midst of all of its craziness, um, it, whatever they would, whatever we do here, it just works. Um, and I could say that about the company today. It's just a very financially sound company. So that was was really important to me. That that was one thing. Um, the other thing was that I think I was always challenged. Um, I think if I hadn't had that piece of it, my journey may have been different. Um, because my personal goal is to you know to grow and to learn more and to become better at what I do. Um, and in order to do that you need to be given opportunities and you need to be able to be exposed to different things so that you can grow um, and become more knowledgeable and, in fact, be able to bring more value to the organization. And for me, that was really what was the most important thing. Um, And they always gave me that opportunity. And if at some point, you know, I feel like I don't have that, then I, I think it would be time you know, to, to move on. But I, that's being challenged is something I always, always have to have. Well, uh, it's so incredible how you've watched the company grow so much. And um, I am curious to see if we're going to find a trend of people wanting what you want, which is a financially stable company, right? Like maybe um, at some point people are going to start to tire of, you know, the path of companies holding. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find. Hard to find today. Yeah, I mean, I'm the longest I've ever been in a company is my own company. <laughs> like I've had my company for ten years, and I've definitely thought of leaving it <laughs> at some point. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, before that, it, you know, it was a year here, a year and a half there, nine months somewhere. And eventually it was four years somewhere, which was kind of like amazing to me. But um, I find it so interesting. So I'd love to just shift gears a little bit and talk about a topic which I find incredibly interesting, which is around networking and entertaining. So um, I know this is an important part of your job. It's certainly a part important part of my job. Um, and I've... I feel a little challenged as of late because I've um, I've stopped drinking alcohol. I'm not interested in it anymore. But so much of entertaining and business um, happens at the bar, right? Those um, those moments of bonding happen after uh, many drinks for people, two o'clock in the morning, and um, I'm just not interested anymore. Um, I also want to go to sleep by eleven o'clock at night. Um, and like me, you don't drink. Um, so I'm really curious to hear about, um, as someone else who's not drinking and not, you know, um, you know, taking drink after drink all night long at the bar with people, how do you navigate these really valuable moments to build relationships when there's so much focus on alcohol fueled activities? Yeah. So Obviously, I've you know having been in business for as many years as I've as I have, you know, different phases of my career. You know, when I was younger, I definitely you know, um, not going to say that I didn't you know drink and go to the bar and do all you know some of that partying. I, I think I had I've had my moments, but. I guess I just reached a point in my career having seen a lot of, you know, really like behavior that was really not the best in a business environment. I just decided that, you know, nothing really good is going to is going to happen when you have that much to drink. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped, you know, I just stopped drinking. It was just it was a personal choice for me. Um, and it doesn't mean that you know, like you can't go to the bar. I mean, it's because I do, you know, go to the bar and it, it's incredible to me. And you're much more sensitive, sensitive to this when you don't drink is you notice how much emphasis uh, people put on drinking you know, for any kind of social activity. It's just like mm-hmm. an integral part of it. Um, so it, it's really, you know, it's almost like, you know, peer pressure. But, right. you know, it's okay to be, I found that, you know, it's okay to be at the bar and not drink. Um, and when you're, when you get to my level, the reality is that a lot of these younger people, you know, one just, you reach a certain point in the evening, <laughs> they don't really want you there anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I, they don't, I mean, they sort of want to do their own thing. And, you know, so, you know, I'll go, you know, be a part of the group and I'll, I'll go to the bar and I, you know, and I can be relevant and I can have fun, but, you know, when people start to reach a certain point of alcohol consumption and the behavior goes in a certain direction, I usually, leave. Um, because I don't think it's where really, you know, at this point in my career where I should really be. Right. And that, you know, that's a personal decision. Um, 
but I think I've seen enough really, you know, bad behavior from drinking um, to know that it's not really, it's not really respected. And I think when you're a woman, it's even harder. Men tend so, to you know, get away with a little bit more. When I think about, um, you know, I mean, my focus, I guess, on business development for my agency, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially sales. Um, and, um, when I want to connect with people, you know, let's, let's meet for coffee, let's meet for a pedicure and their response is let's meet, let's meet for a drink, which of course, like I can sit across from them and I can have my, my seltzer, um, with lime and they can have their wine. But, um, you know, what I've noticed, especially at like conferences, um, you know, events when there's an overnight in a hotel, um, the bond building between, you know, someone like me in my position and someone, you know, like someone like you in your position, right? So my client would be with you, right? A CMO, a marketing lead, sometimes even a CEO or founder. Um, well, those, those moments, those like long-term memories <laughs> that they, the, that marketer would have, um, it seems like they're made, you know, at two o'clock in the morning at the bar with the agency, right? So this is like a, this is something that I'm, I'm not a part of, right? So I'm, yes, I can sit at the bar and it can, you know, make conversation, but that's not what I think people who, who love wine and, you know, or love their vodka or whatever, that, that that's not getting to like the heart of those like big bond moments. I think the big bond moments are happening for them when everyone is really super tipsy. Um, so I don't have that. I just go back to my hotel room. I order room service. I watch the real housewives, you know, and I, and I know that those relationships are being made without me. Um, so I'm curious if you have any advice on how to, um, find ways in that are not drunken ways in. Um, for me, I, I think what's really important is you have to find, you have to make a connection with people and it has to be for something other, other than alcohol. Um, so everybody has, everyone is passionate about something. And you have to find, you have to find what that is. And, you know, sometimes getting to that passion comes from having, you know, it comes from having conversation, meaningful conversations. I mean, if someone is a real, you know, is really into wine, chances are they're really into food too, because the two go Mm -hmm. hand in hand and maybe you don't drink, but you you know, I, you probably would enjoy having a great dinner somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's always a way to make a connection. It can be that it can be, someone might be really into music. Um, you can take them to like a concert to see their, you know, who their favorite, you know, band is or, or musician is, or, you know, sometimes they're into, someone is really passionate about um, sports, take them to a sporting event. Mm -hmm. I mean, people always have something that they're passionate about, and it doesn't always have to be about alcohol. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's more meaningful if it's not, because they're going to remember it. 
You know, when you're out getting drunk and it's like two o'clock in the morning, chances are the next day they may not remember everything. Yes, yes. They they might not remember your genius idea for like, you know, transforming their business. (laughs) Yes. Which is never so genius when there's booze involved, right? It's never really that good an idea. Um, Okay, so I just want to switch gears a little bit before we run out of time and um, talk about life-work balance, which is, you know, always on my mind. Um, I realize that life is short, right? And I really want to, um, I really want to be in the moment and I want to make sure that I'm spending my time in a way that feels meaningful. Um, and you've mentioned to me that, um, as a single woman, it, it takes a different type of effort to break away from work to achieve balance in your life. Um, so I'm really curious and I think our listeners would be incredibly curious too, is like, how do you keep an eye on that? How, how do you shift gears, um, when like you don't have that constraint of, oh, I have to release a babysitter, right? Which, you know, a lot of your peers might have, like you have to work harder at it. So how do you do that? What is your approach? It's, it's difficult. And I will admit that, um, when I was younger, I probably, uh, did a much poorer job of it. Uh, I think, uh, cause it's, it's easy to fall into that, you know, workaholic syndrome, you know, especially if you don't have another demand on your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really easy to fall, to fall into it. And, you know, I think you tend to get uh, a little more demands placed on you because you don't have some, something else pulling on your time. Um, but I think it's all about setting boundaries. You know, you really have to set boundaries for yourself if you if you want to have have some respect for your your personal time. And it's really important um, because you know, at the end of the day, you need to be able to be an interesting person um, and being able to you know sit down and have a conversation only about work. Sometimes, like you know. You're, you might be out with a, a buyer or a client, and the last thing they want to talk about is work. Mm-hmm. So you really have to have some other passion in your life or other experiences in your life that you can talk about. You need to understand, you know, what else is happening in the world around you or, you know, have other people in your life that you can talk about because, you know, people are so stressed out today on their jobs that when they get out of the office, like they want to just leave it. They don't. They don't want to. They don't want to talk about business when they're out at a dinner at night. Right. So you really have to set your boundaries. And you know, I think lately, you know, I've I've lost a few people, a couple of people in my life at at relatively young ages. It's become you know, very profound to me, the fact that life can change in an instant. Um, and I don't want to just be remembered for like how hard I worked. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. the, there really is so much more to life than that. Um, even if you're single, there's still a lot more to life than that. What was hard years ago for you to create those boundaries? What was what was kind of getting in the way in your head around saying like, no, I'm going to, you know, shut the computer. I'm going to leave the office. I'm going to walk away. 
Um, because I think I think when I was younger, it, it was just I was I, w- I was always working towards something. Like um, if I put you know x amount more time into this, it's going to be that much better. And you know, and so I just put the I would always put the extra time into it, or if I can you know, leave here and go walk a couple of stores, like how much more can I learn about, you know, what I'm working on that'll make me that much better at, at what I'm doing. So, and I, because I, I didn't have, I may not have had something else to do, you know, it was easy to just fall into that pattern of always, well, you know, I'll just stay and do more work. So do you think, so, like, in, you know, looking back now, let's say to, you know, 10 years into your career, if you didn't spend those extra two hours a day on work and you, you know, went home and went for a run or do whatever you, you know, you like to do when you're not working, um, do you think it really would have changed your career trajectory? Um, probably not. Probably not, because I, um, I think I I knew I was better at what I did than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot more knowledge than I, you know. Sometimes you don't know until you're given the chance to talk about it, um, and you know, putting the extra time in, like I I probably probably already had that knowledge. It didn't need to do it, mm-hmm. um, but. I don't know. I felt when I, when I was younger, I just felt like this is the time for me now to let me just put more time in. Like I'll get more recognition if I put more time in and you know, it doesn't really work that way. So were you, it's about, it's about, I think it's a, I think it's about accomplishing more in, in less time. Right. So I, um, I was having a conversation with a friend who, spent, you know, I don't know that she was in her company for 34 years, but it was, you know, I think like 16 years, you know, it was a very long amount of time um, at an agency. And she felt like when she was there that she couldn't, she couldn't do the things in her personal life that she wanted to be at. Like, you know, if she, um, she couldn't say no to traveling when like she was going to be missing her kid's birthday. And I asked her, I'm like, why, why couldn't you say no? And she just felt like the culture there said to her, I don't know if anyone outright said it, but she felt like the culture was speaking to her and saying, no, you can't, you can't protect, you're not allowed to protect your personal time when it's important. Um, and I'm, you know, I've been in my own business, leading my own business for so long. And my, my total focus on my agency is about life work balance. So it's hard for me to know if that's really true. Um, do, do you think it's true? Like are, are people working in corporate environments and truly not allowed to protect and build walls around those like really big occasions like graduations, birthdays, things like that. I think there's certain, uh, I mean, I, I definitely have felt, uh, the obligation like to, to make certain trips, to be at certain meetings, to, you know, not schedule any vacation time around this time because I know I'm going to have this meeting to attend and, 
I've definitely felt that pressure um, to be present at certain times um, because, I mean, this is a very, one thing about this company, it's a very hardworking company. I mean, it's sort of known for that. And I'd say if, if you're not really working hard, um, people know about it. I mean, there's not a lot of, we're kind of lean here, so there's not a lot of people and you're exposed even when you start, when you're at lower levels of the organization, you're exposed to management, top management. So if you're not at all these meetings, if you're not at these shows, if you're not really working it, people know. So I definitely have felt that pressure to be, I mean, even, even now I do, but I think I'm more conscious, you know, I have, I have help. I have people supporting me and, and working for me. So we, you know, we sort of work together to have the coverage. Um, but there's definitely, I definitely feel the pressure to that. There's certain things that, you know, somebody has to be at this or somebody has to be at this meeting. And, and I definitely feel that. And yeah, I, think I guess in, I in wonder corporate environment, you to, get that. Does it need to be you, right? Like I understand someone from the team needs to be at the meeting, but what, does it always have to be you or can it be like, you know what? I have an important occasion. I can't be in Vegas on that day. I can stay for one of the days and Sally on my team will be there for the second day. Like, is that an option? And now it is. Uh-huh. Now I do not that. when you were young, but I would say when I was younger, I did not. Mm-hmm. I would be like, no, I need to be there. Um, we, she and I were having a, a lively discussion in the train station yesterday because I'm, you know, she's like, your situation is Jody. Like what you have, what your husband has, is completely different from being in these environments where she feels like she does not have choice, right? Like she is, um, you know, that her time has been bought. Right. Um, and there's no negotiation on how that time is spent. So, um, yeah. you know, I, 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 um, I feel for her cause it's challenging, right? There's, there's a life beyond, beyond the office. Um, Absolutely. and there's un, uh, unspoken rules, right? I guess it'd be easier if there were, if there were direct rules, right. Um, but they're unspoken, um, which makes it and more you know, complicated. A lot of times navigate. they'll say, you know, they'll say, okay, well, you know, there's a big meeting happening, you know, I'll let you make the decision is what they say, mm. but, you know, you know, like deep down, like I've got to be at that meeting. Right. So, you know, you just, there's, there's definitely a sense of a deep sense of responsibility and obligation in that regard, especially right. when you get to a certain level. Right. Um, well, Paula, this has been incredible. I so appreciate your honesty and your openness in talking about these topics. And I know our listeners are going to find this so valuable. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.